Well, church family, um, I am so honored to be with you guys today. Like Samwa said, um, I am here on staff. Uh, I'm in our uh, campus manager position here. Uh, I've also been and helped out with youth, and so some of what you're going to learn today um, might be influenced by the time that I've spent a lot of time with teenagers recently, so hopefully we will try to, uh, uh, I don't know, just think through, like, be, be young. I love the energy that they bring. Sometimes they bring too much energy, so um, I might need a little bit of the energy from you so that uh, we can be, like Romans, uh, Paul says in Romans, that we can be mutually encouraged through uh, the spiritual gifts that we have uh, so that we can strengthen each other's faith. So as I said, um, I'm on staff here and I get to meet a lot of people. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I would love to get to know you. And uh, something that people normally do whenever they, uh, they talk about uh, getting to know each other, say, hey, where are you from? And I have to think about that sometimes because I, I have a scripted answer now. I say, well, I was born in Honduras, my parents are from Mexico, but I've been here in the U.S. since I was six. So I, I try, I just have that memorized now as my script because sometimes I don't know, you know, what, are you asking me if I'm from the U.S.? Or are you asking me where my hometown is? So then I talk about my hometown. So if you don't know, I'm from a little town called Liberty. And when I say, hey, uh, yeah, I'm from Liberty, and people say, yeah, Liberty, I've heard of that place. And then they start talking about how uh, Liberty is really good at sports and then UIL and all, and all these things, and I have to just stop them and as uh, polite as possible say, I think you have the wrong one. That's Liberty Hill. Uh, Liberty Hill is really famous. Liberty, um, uh, not as much. Go Panthers. Represents the Panthers. Uh, but... We oftentimes get mistaken for that. Uh, and uh, I was thinking through and talking with our students, uh, seeing some of them, and they've mentioned how at their school, uh, whether they're in junior high or high school, they get to wear shorts uh, to school. And some of you that are older, you're like, oh my goodness, shorts. And I, I'm the same. I'm thinking myself, oh, yeah, I didn't get to wear shorts whenever I was in school. This is not a picture of my school. It's just uh, our school wasn't as nice or clean, like I said. Um, but uh, one thing that we didn't get to do was to wear shorts. So I, I thought a little bit about it, and I thought about, well, actually, I remember I went to a public school, but I remember my school being pretty strict. Uh, I remember uh, this was uh, high school. I graduated in 2009, so you can do the math and figure out how old I am now. Uh, and uh, at that time, I remember that uh, boys could not have their hair uh, to their shoulders. I remember that. Uh, no facial hair. I remember uh, shorts, no shorts for guys. And if you were a girl, I remember that your skirt had to be uh, longer than your arm length. So I don't know what happens when people have shorter or longer arms. So I don't know if you remember uh, back in when you were in school and what the rules were for how you conducted yourself. I actually went back. I, I really, truly tried to find a picture of my hallway, and I could not find one. But I did find the student handbook. Guess how many pages my little public school in Liberty, Texas had. Guess how many pages were in this handbook? This handbook for students, mind you. Yes, parents, uh, but it was mainly geared at students. It was 100, 
113 pages. 113 pages. I don't know what student is going to read that. Um, I definitely did not have that growing up, uh, that, that handbook. I went and saw that they had a lot of um, uh, nice newer things. I'm so grateful that uh, technology. But I remember thinking whenever I was in high school, and if we have any high schoolers here, I remember thinking, man, I can't wait to get out of here. I don't know if that was you in high school. I remember thinking, I can't wait to get out of here. And I remember, uh, I don't remember exactly when, but several years after, after I finished high school, I was in college, probably even working, I remember having a nightmare. And my nightmare was that I did not actually finish high school, so I had to go back to high school. That was, that was my nightmare, not because of the, it wasn't because of like the people or anything like that. It had to do with the fact that like, like I thought I was old. I thought I was this new person. And yet here I was in my nightmare having to go back to high school to finish who knows what class. And I remember thinking, wow, I don't like this at all. This is not who I am. And I don't know if you've ever had that feeling. You've had that feeling where you recognize, you stop, this is not who I am, or this is not who I want to be. And that is what we're going to be covering here in Romans chapter 7. You see, what, what we are going to talk about today, you're going to be hearing me mentioning the law and how the law has a purpose the law uh, has, uh, has some sort of relationship with us. We'll try to figure out what that is. But in actuality, we read here that there's a very uh, big distinction in the law because it has to do with some sort of shift. But at the same time, not only is there a shift in our relationship, but there's also a continual struggle. So I want to quickly remind us about how we got here. If you haven't joined us before, if this is your first time, we've been studying Romans. And last week, Carlos preached through chapter 6. And in chapter 6, I want to give you two key verses from chapter 6. So if you missed, here's how you can catch up. You can look at these two verses to give you an idea of what Paul was talking about in chapter 6. We have verse 14 that says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And he ends the chapter with a monumental verse for you and I today. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are the key verses from chapter 6, and so chapter 7 is going to be a continuation of that. We already saw Paul was talking about uh, just how there's sin in the world, and then he talks about how Jesus came and did something about that sin, and Bible scholars call that justification, that is being made right with God, and then we start seeing here, he starts talking about what happens afterwards. And family, that is 
what we call sanctification, the process of becoming more Christ-like, the process of becoming more godly. We are not gods ourselves, but we, uh, our calling is to look more and more like Jesus. But I don't know about you, but oftentimes, I think and I said, okay, so, so now what? Now what? If you have a brand new believer who just trusted in the Lord, what do you do? Right? That's why Jesus tells us that we're, we're called to make disciples to help people not only find Jesus, as our church says, in learning the gospel, understanding the gospel, believing in the gospel, but following Jesus because there is so much life that happens after we place our faith in Jesus. So this process of sanctification is something that you and I go through, will go through for the rest of our lives because we are on this side of eternity and we uh, live in a sinful world and because of that, um, we have this process of becoming more and more Christ-like. So what I want to give you is just a brief overview of chapter 7. We're not going to do the whole entire chapter, but we are going to do 13 verses together. So you and I get to participate in a Bible study together. Uh, I love uh, studying God's Word. I love that we get to do it together. I wish that there was more participation, but I, I get it. I'm here. You know, it's, it's not youth, youth service. Uh, so uh, with that in mind, uh, let me just say a quick prayer so that uh, we can get jump into um, God's word together. So, Father, thank you for your word. Uh, this morning I pray for um, these 13 verses, Father. I pray that uh, you can enlighten us uh, through your word uh, for what you have in store for us. Help us, Father, um, to listen to you. I believe that you have something for each and every one of us, whether it's a reminder, Father, or whether it's something brand new. I know, God, that you can do uh, great things through anyone. Uh, we thank you for your words, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we finished chapter 6. If you remember, Carlos has had, had his chains, and he says, the chains are gone. You're no longer dead to sin, but what about the law? What about the law? What is our relationship to the law? What is the law's purpose, and why does that matter to me and you? And we'll talk about that. Because we have the old law, but we also have some sort of new law. What is the new law? What is all that? How do I make distinction between the two? So the first six verses we're going to cover is talking about our relationship to the law. So let's read. I'm going to start in just verse 1, and then uh, we'll uh, continue. So let me read verse 1 together. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. So we see here at the very beginning, he uses the word brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. So this means that he is talking to the believers, people who have placed their faith in Jesus already. And we see that at the beginning of the letter uh, in Romans, he says to all the saints that are in Rome, and in Rome, uh, as you know, it's, it's not Israel, it was the capital of, of an empire, and you had Jews and you had Gentiles uh, here. And he says, you know about this. You know about the law. 
So I don't think he's just talking about Jews. I think he's talking also to uh, people who were non-Jews because in Rome, they, you know, they had law systems. They had politicians. They had a global empire there at the time. So he's saying, you guys know law, right? You guys, we all have a law degree, don't we, right? We're all lawyers. Sometimes we feel like we're lawyers whenever we're, we're, uh, we have conflict with people. But he says, don't you know that the law has jurisdiction control, authority over a person as long as he lives? And he starts by using an example, giving us an illustration. So let's read uh, the next couple verses. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So he starts saying here, hey, uh, I have a very black and white illustration. I don't know about you, this, this may be black and white to some of us, maybe not. But at the time, there was a very clear distinction, and he used the Jewish example of marriage, right? If, if it's just very flat out and simple, when, you, when someone dies, they're no longer a spouse. Yes, you are, you are married, but you're not obligated under the law of Moses. And so he's giving this example here, explaining that there's something that happens with death, that there's no more obligation I don't know where this came up or how long this has been a thing, but I remember hearing that there's only, there's two things that are certain in life. What are they? Death and taxes. Who came up with that? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know how that translates in Spanish either, but I, I thought about that and I thought to say, well, I guess that is my example here. He used the, the, this illustration about marriage and so I remember thinking, well, I guess it makes sense to me that if someone dies, they no longer have to pay taxes. And so for me, that's something that uh, I was just trying to get an understanding of that illustration because this is not a passage about marriage, by the way. So I, I hope that none of you, if, if you're engaged, you're not planning on using this uh, for your wedding at any point soon. So this, this is not... Uh, a passage uh, specifically talking about marriage, it's, it's giving uh, that example about that. So we need to understand, what, it, what does that mean? And I love Paul because Paul will tell it to you straight up sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you have to search for it, and he's crazy smart. And so in my brain, sometimes I have to, like, try to connect dots. But I love uh, when we have language in the Bible that, like, flat out says, but or because, and here we have therefore. So starting in verse four, we see why uh, this matters and what this means, and he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit 
and not in oldness of the letter. What we see here is Paul trying to get us to understand, to get the the church in, in Rome to understand that there's something that happens in our relationship to the law, to the, to the, the rules created uh, uh, by man. And we see here that he is giving us an understanding that just as Christ Jesus died and in his death, he paid the debt for sin and now we are dead to sin, which was discussed in chapter six, Now he is introducing something else that we are dead to. We are dead to uh, the control of the authority of the law. And so we see here that there's something that happens and Jesus Christ died that sin had no more power over him just as the law had no more power over him. So when we died, uh, when we trust in Christ, we died to sin and we also died to the law that we are no longer obligated to keep the law because the law at the time was something that was a commandment. So you might be sitting here like, wait, what? What did he say? I'm no longer obligated to keep the law? But isn't that the, isn't that the, the Old Testament? Isn't that the Bible? Yeah, and that's why we, we have this, this struggle is because there are things that, are, that we read that are in the Bible, and then we have the Old Testament and New Testament, and we have to try to discern what the difference between the two. So here we're getting a snapshot, just a tiny little snapshot in regards to something that is different. Uh, I, I love the example that Carlos gave last week. If you were here, he was talking about the farmer and how the farmer had a... a he had a, 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 the owner of the farm, and he, the owner of the farm was evil, and then he went to a new owner, and the owner was like, hey, you're no longer with that guy because you are in a new relationship. Now, Galatians 3.13, I don't have it up there, but it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So we, he uses these words saying, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, uh, Meaning that there's this aspect of that happens when we try to attain, when we try to reach God's favor through the law. Because what we saw through the Old Testament was that the, the law pointed out lots of different things and pointed out lots of different commands. We'll talk about that in a second. But more important than the rules was a relationship. And that we are called to a new kind of relationship, to a new kind of relationship, a relationship that is not built on just rules, but a relationship that is built around a person, around Jesus Christ, because what Scripture says in those verses is that we are now united with him. We are now united with him. And there's this language that we see here about the example of marriage. And then in other passages, we see here that the church is the bride and Jesus Christ is the groom. And so we are united with him. And what we believe is that there is no separation from that. And Romans will talk about that. That there is no separation. There's no more condemnation. 
But we need to figure out what is our relationship. If our relationship is now to a person and not to, a, to the law, then why do we have the law? What good does that do? And that's what he talks about. So the next portion here, the next uh, few verses talk about the purpose of the law. Like I said, it's hard for us to understand sometimes why, why we have all these things. Because uh, if you don't know, the law for the Jews were the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the Torah. And it was summarized by the Ten Commandments. But there weren't just Ten Commandments. There were 613 commandments. Guys, I don't even remember my password whenever I need to unlock my phone. So I don't know. I don't know, or maybe you might have photographic memory. I don't. But to the Jews, they were asked, they were commanded to keep 613 total commandments that ranged everything from way of living to how we worship uh, to conflicts, all these different things, and they were summed up into the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses. And what we know from reading the Bible is that these commandments were really, really specific and it really cast a big burden on people. It cast a really big burden on them that every time they sinned, they had to uh, sacrifice an animal. They had to have a priest do the sacrifice for them. They couldn't even do it. They had to have a priest do it for them so that they could find good favor with God. And then what we see in the New Testament is that we had also, not only was it a burden, but it was a brag. Because you had people who claimed that they were following the letter to the T, that they had every law memorized. In fact, a lot of, of the Jewish boys that, that studied, they had to memorize the Torah. That is some scripture memorization, let me tell you, right there. I wish that we had that discipline. But they had to memorize it. But not only were they memorizing in their head, sometimes it got the better of them. And what we saw was Jesus calling out some of those people in the New Testament because they were trying to, to catch Jesus. They were trying to put him in a, in, in a pit of like, hey, what's he going to say about this? Because the scripture says this and this. Uh, it contradicts this, so, uh, you know, what's going to happen? But Jesus, who knows our hearts, he knew their hearts. He knew what they were trying to do. And he came in, and he established a new law. He established the law of Christ. Galatians talks about that, too, that, that there is this law of Christ. And that's why Jesus... In the New Testament, he, he, he says things. He says things that are new. And the Bible talks about how he spoke with authority. He spoke, he wasn't just regurgitating or reading something. 
He was interpreting the scripture because he is God and he came to be with us. And so that's why he said, you have heard it it said this way, but now I tell you this way. The spirit of the law, that it wasn't just about reading and following those instructions, that it was about something more than that. So we have the example of the old law, and Jesus brings in his law. And in there, you have a lot of things in common. In fact, nine out of the 10 commandments from the Old Testament are commandments that Jesus gives us. And we see here, Paul's gonna actually discuss one of those examples moving on. And so you may look at this and say, but, but, but I'm not a Jew, so this doesn't apply to me. Jesus came, right, and he established a new law. But like I said, God had a purpose for all of this. So let's read, uh, starting in verse 7, what that purpose is. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin, by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. See, we just read a lot of verses here, and sometimes we need to try to understand what was it that we just read. I know it can be, this part can be a little bit confusing because he talks about death, but is he dead, is he not dead? Um, The uh, simplest explanation that I can have for you today is is that this law exposes our sin, that this law reveals our sin to us. But also, whenever this this law reveals the sin to us, that something else happened. It kind of just mixes in there, and because we notice something, it actually attracts us to it. Paul's going to expand on this later down the line in chapter 8. But we see here Paul is talking. Do you think he's talking about a past struggle? Or do you think he's talking about a continual present struggle? Right? We would say it's not a past struggle. 
that is the continual present struggle when we see the law, the law of Christ, also what is, what is uh, talked about that is shared with the law of Moses, that that reveals something to us. The two examples that, that I've read that come to mind are the law is like an x-ray mas- machine and that you, for those of you who are science majors or if you are uh, a medical doctor, you know that it's not the machine. The machine didn't do anything to you. It just reveals that, that cancer. It reveals that, that broken bone. But the machine didn't do it, right? Oftentimes, we think about the law. We think about sin. And sometimes we know what we do, and oftentimes we don't know. What Paul is saying is, I actually did not know that coveting was a sin. In fact, it's actually the 10th commandment. So we see that that is something that is shared. And coveting is something that we don't really talk about often, but it's something that is pretty universal to all of us. Coveting is just simply desiring what you don't have. But not just in a hopeful way. It's just you're constantly thinking about it so much that it just takes over your mind. Greed and leads to greed. I know for me, I'll slightly confess with you guys. At first when I read this, I thought, yeah, that's, that's Paul's example. That's a great example. And then I remembered, wow, this is for me too. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, I love a bargain. I love a good bargain. And uh, uh, I thought about this and recently I've been convicted about how much time I spend on Facebook but not necessarily for like people's updates, although you know I do want to uh, get to know you guys and know what you're doing outside of Sunday, but more because I love a good Facebook marketplace deal. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? Yes. I search. There are lots of things that I search on there. I don't even need, but guess what? I want it. I want that. I... Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll, once again, this is a time, this is a safe place, right? Yeah, so, so it's a, a time of confession for me in that um, I, uh, I have a, a nice, really nice road bike, but I, I was thinking, it's like, man, that, that bike is just too nice. Maybe I just need, maybe I just need an indoor bike. Maybe I just need a Peloton. Uh, but yeah, I can find a really good used deal. Uh, but I don't just need a, a Peloton, for you, those of you who know, is a really high-end indoor bike. Forgot to mention that. Uh, but I don't just need their basic model, right? I need the Plus. I need the Peloton Plus. And not only that, I need to have, oh yeah, the treadmill too. There's a matching treadmill. There's a matching treadmill, but I think the treadmills go around for around $5,000, if I'm not mistaken, for the, for the plus version. Yes, there's also a plus version of that. So you can see how quickly coveting happens. 
whether it's something small, it can grow, it can brew. And so Paul is being vulnerable and sharing, I did not know about this. The law revealed this. This was like an x-ray machine. This was like a mirror that showed me what I did not see. And therefore, the law is not sin itself. The law is actually holy. The law, the word of God, Christ's words, his commandments, they are holy. They're holy because they are for our good, church. Amen? They are for our good. And I don't know about you, but I have a rebellious heart. I don't want to be told what to do. But here we see God who is sovereign, who knows everything. He ordained things. He has given us boundaries. He has given us guidelines and commandments so that we can live our life so that we can look more like Jesus. That is the process of sanctification, to look more and more like Jesus. So the problem was not the law. The problem is us. The problem is us. And so it reveals our sin, but also our need for our Savior. This is just a one-time thing. Church, this is a daily thing. It's so easy for us to get caught up in life and caught up in all these things. And it's so easy for us, like I said, for us to think through whether or not, you know, you're trying to memorize this. This is the, the, the biggest and thickest Bible that I have. I found it. I'm a, I thrifted it. So I don't remember if I found it in Facebook Marketplace. But... There is a big burden that we can carry. This is actually pretty heavy. You can come and take a look at it afterwards. <laughs> in keeping the law, in trying to memorize all these different things, whether we use it for good or whether we use it for evil, but what I want you to know, church, is that the law really, it, it reveals our sin. It reveals our need for our Savior even more. And that is why Paul is trying to, time and time again, remind the church about what Jesus Christ did. And that's why time and time again, we stand up here, we remind you, we remind one another what Jesus Christ did on that cross. When was the last time that you thought about the cross? You see, there's a simple diagram that I want to show you. I did not come up with this, but I love this diagram. Because it shows us, if we're growing in our faith in Jesus Christ, that through time after we place our faith, that there's something that happens and that our salvation is secure. But what about our awareness? What about our awareness? You see, when we grow in our awareness of God's holiness, when we read God's word, where we're not just following the rules because they're there, 
But because we're following our Savior, Jesus, we see something. We see the holiness for who he is, but also we see our awareness of our sin. And what happens is that the cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. When we go through time, we're, we're becoming more mature, we're becoming more Christ-like, we recognize what Jesus Christ saved us from and truly our sin nature, but we are no longer bound to that sin. We see here our eyes are fixed on Jesus, not on ourselves. But what happens in the opposite? When we try to please God, either with our performance or maybe with our pride, coming up, even, it's pride, like I, I read something and I said, pride is even just coming up with excuses. It was like, oh yeah, God, I, I knew that I was supposed to do this, but you see, this happened and I was busy and all this stuff happened, right? That's how it looks like for me. That's when we don't really fully recognize that Jesus came, he died on that cross for you and I. And we live life thinking that everything is fine. Yes, our, our, I wanna uh, uh, iterate once again that this does not change our stance with God, that we are fully justified, that we are saved once and for all past, present, and future sins, but we don't get to live in light of the true nature of God's holiness, getting to understand that, or the sinfulness, when pride and performance gets in there. We just don't truly appreciate what Jesus Christ did for us. So as far as, far as application for us, that's what I want you guys to think through. It's just to reflect this week. What kind of relationship do I have with the law? We're not talking about the Mosaic law. We're talking about the law that Jesus Christ, Scripture says, is written in our hearts, that he has given us his Holy Spirit to be with us, to guide us, and to lead us. What kind of relationship do you have And then to spend some time in prayer, whether that's in confession, to say, Lord, thank you for revealing this to me because I know that this is not of you and I know that you desire to have me look more and more like Jesus. And the one thing that I will continually share whenever I'm up here is just the need and importance for us to share with one another, to carry each other's burdens that is how we fulfill the law of Christ as a church family. To not condemn one another, but to be Christ-like to each other. So can you do that? Can you share with your family? Can you share to say, hey, uh, what have you been learning? What is God teaching you today? That's a simple question that we can always ask one another. And I pray that we can be in that habit, in that discipline. Because we are freed, church, we are freed from the law, from, from the authority. 
But it doesn't mean that our tendency is, is not to go back. So church, let me pray for us. I pray that we can also respond in song this morning as well, that you can freely worship the Lord, whether that's in confession or whether that's in thanksgiving, that we can sing about our Savior, that we can sing about what he's done for us, that we can sing that no matter where we are in our relationship with the Lord, that there is purpose for his word and that there, he is he promises, he has promised to be with us by sending his Holy Spirit. So let me, let's stand, church, and let me pray for you guys this morning. <clears throat> Father, uh, <clears throat> thank you for, for this time together as a, as a church family. Um, you knew that it would be impossible for us to keep the law. So you sent your son Jesus to be with us to actually, he was the one who fulfilled the law, Father. He kept every commandment. He did not sin. And through his death, we are made right with you and we are freed from that. I pray um, that we may all have a new relationship with you, Jesus, that in this newness that we can live light in light of, of your word and what it reveals to us your Holy Spirit, what your Holy Spirit reveals to us. Um, we pray for wisdom. God, I pray that as a church family, we can carry each other's burdens as well. Father, that we can live in light of freedom and not out of uh, performance or pride, Father. Pray for uh, just the struggles that we face. We know, God, that you have defeated sin. Uh, but sometimes we just feel like we need to experience you. And so I pray for any of my brothers and sisters that may feel that in this moment, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's in your name we pray, amen.